Good morning, St. George's. Let's pray before we head into the Word. Dear Lord, we thank you that you give us your pure Word, that you've given us a truth that we can reflect our theology off of, our belief off of, our faith off of. Lord, help us to be open to what you have to say this morning. We love you. We thank you that you give us your word. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I trust you have your Bibles open to um, 2 Corinthians 11, 1 to 15. Uh, we are continuing to walk through um, 2 Corinthians. So we've been taking it bit by bit here, and we find ourselves in chapter 11. Now, this is uh, a new chapter compared to last week where we in 10, um, but it's a continuation of Paul's defense of his ministry. So in this stage of the letter, remember this is a letter, right? This is a letter to the Corinthians. This is him talking directly to them. In this spot, he actually has his back up against the wall a little bit. There's these super apostles, these false teachers that have been spreading a word about Paul's version of the gospel that it's not worthy. It's not good enough. It's the wrong version because they're trying to push their own version. So that's what's happening here. We've already seen Paul have to defend his ministry and how the humility that he approaches it with actually represents the gospel, but also the boldness actually represents the gospel. He's had to, you know, defend that he, um, his ministry is too worldly. Um, he's defended himself already in chapter 10. We've seen that. But can you hear, have you heard, there's a couple sentences in this, this um, chunk. It's so personal because he's defensive, right? It's, it's one thing to just be instructing over a letter. You know, you're just writing. It's elegant. You're thinking things through. But this is personal, and you can see that in a few ways. You can see that it's almost sarcastic at times, or it's um, answering his own questions in here. So we're going to look out for that in, in here as, as we read through. But what we do when we read the Bible is we ask ourselves, where do we see ourselves in the story, right? That's our job as we read the word. How does this apply to my life today in 2022? Surely there must be something. So the framework that we're going to go through here a little bit is we're going to see how Paul cares for the Corinthians, how much he really cares for the Corinthians. Paul's going to openly acknowledge the fact that there are these false gospels. There's these representations of Jesus that aren't true. He's going to give warning of that. He's going to talk about how the gospel is countercultural, that it's not um, just going with the waves of culture. And lastly, he'll talk about how the devil pulls us away from our pure devotion to Christ. Our pure devotion. That's what, that's what we're called to have, right, with our devotion to Christ. And when, when do we best have pure devotion? I think right when we get saved and we're on fire for God, we have a, a very pure devotion. It's very, you know, just full-hearted and transparent, and life gets in the way, right? It becomes a little less pure, a little less pure as we go on. But as we return to God on an ongoing basis, we can regain that purity, and that's what he's going to talk about here. So this is actually a message to the Corinthians, obviously in Corinthians, um, the book. But the truth is, this is a message to us today. This is a message to the church. Paul is calling out the church warning it, loving it. You know, this Corinthian society is actually fairly similar to um, where we find ourselves today. At the peak of an empire with all these 
luxuries and we can have any, anything we want. We just earn it. And, you know, this, all this idea, that's the same Corinthians we're in right in this time too. This life of abundance. So let's head straight into verse 1 to 4. He starts by saying this, this idea. He says, bear with me, right? Bear with me. That's what he says first. Like anyone who goes up to preach says first, bear with me as I get to my point. But he doesn't just say that. He says, bear with me in some foolishness. Now, not too many preachers go up there and say that, I don't think. But the reason he says foolishness is because he knows that these Corinthians have actually been putting up with other messages that Paul simply thinks is foolish. He says, if you're going to put up with foolishness, try putting up with mine for a second. It's going to sound a little bit strange. That's what he's saying here. And he uses actually the same word in the original language with this bear with me and put up with. It's the same word. And so you'll see actually at the end of verse 4, see how it says, you put up with it readily enough. He's talking about the false gospels. Bear with me. You put up with the false gospels. You're good at bearing with these things. So listen. Then he goes on to say, I feel a divine jealousy for you. That's, That's an extreme jealousy. Anyone ever had regular jealousy before? How about divine jealousy? That's pretty heavy. He talks about this, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ, but I'm afraid you've been deceived. So this is what he's getting at here. Paul is Paul's the matchmaker, right? Paul met Jesus. Paul met the Corinthians, said, I think you two will get along. I think there's something in it here for you. I set you up, and what is, what is Jesus' promise to us? We are as betrothed. The church is the bride of Christ. Now, we're not fully the bride. There's no wedding day yet. That's when Christ returns. We'll be consummated in that marriage. But we're promised to Christ right now. Picture yourself as a fiancé. You've given an actual, meaningful promise to Christ. And now Paul sees you flirting with other versions of Jesus. Well, he's jealous on Christ's behalf. He says, what are you doing? The author Dane Ortland says, says it this way. Imagine a pure virgin in love with her fiancé, suddenly finding herself tempted by the seducing words of a more outwardly attractive man with cruel intentions. Paul, the concerned matchmaker, leaps into the fray to warn the bride the folly of giving herself to this intruder. Consider what you are doing, he cries. Do not give away your purity when your true lover awaits you in due time with open arms. It is Christ. Paul is urging the Corinthians to keep their purity, to keep their pure devotion to Christ. Christ is enough. And we we just sang that song that said... um, That is enough, talking about how God provides for us, his love for us. That is enough. And want to know one of the false gospels that this world offers? You are enough. You are enough. But we as Christians, we know that we're depraved, we're sinful. We trust on ourselves too much, we're going to fall. And yeah, we'll get back up again. We'll say, I did it. I got back up. But then we fall again. 
on our own. We're not enough. Jesus is enough. Let's be careful about what we're hearing in, in the world of these gospels, these life-saving gospels. Verse 3. This is how serious we're taking things. We're bringing things all the way back to the fall of humanity. This is how Paul's given a serious warning, right? He's not just saying, be careful, you might stumble. He's saying, listen, this is similar to what happened for the fall of humanity when Eve was deceived by the serpent in the garden. Paul has the same worry about these teachers that are entering Corinth. Just be careful. These teachers are cunning. Smooth, they're slick. But is their word pure? Or are they just trying to gain power? Or take your money, or whatever it might be. The important thing here is Paul saying, Corinthians, wake up. This is serious, right? The fall of humanity is serious. That's how big of a deal this is. And it's the same idea of this marriage betrayal, right? It's this marriage idea. Eve um, betrayed her husband, Adam, by accepting the fruit and eating it. So the same, the Corinthians are deceiving their husband, which is Christ. The same marriage imagery there, right? And so moving on into verse 4, here's where it gets pretty, pretty plain. He says, For if someone proclaims another gospel, another Jesus, another spirit than the one you accepted, you guys seem to be putting up with it readily enough. And that's not a compliment. It's not a pat on the back. This is a bad thing. Put it this way, the, Christian, or the Corinthians are flirting with another Jesus. Putting up with these apostles. Again, Corinthians, this is serious. Church, this is serious. We need to be careful what we are listening to. I can stand up here and preach to you all day long. But my word means nothing unless it reflects the word of God. Everything we hear, we need to go back to the Bible. Bounce it off the Bible first. See if it rings true. You know, if we start losing major doctrines, we risk giving up the true Jesus and exposing that we, we never even called him Lord anyways. If we're willing to push him aside. We just do what is people-pleasing and easy in the world. We just follow culture. In the 2,000 years that this gospel's been around, how much do you think culture's changed? A little bit? I think so. But this message is pure. It's true. It's made it through. It's our job to continue that on as Christians in purity. You know, if we're, willing to make, if we're not willing to make sacrifices um, for our belief in Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer, then have we really placed him as Lord in the first place? You know, do we actually understand the gospel? Do we understand our weakness? That we actually need a Savior? I need a Savior. Here's what Paul's saying. Stop changing Jesus. When we try to change Jesus... We are making God into the image of man when man is actually made in the image of God. We should be the ones that are being edited. We're not editing Jesus. We should be corrected, not God. 
I am the one that needs sanctification and change on an ongoing basis. My heart needs editing. Nothing of God needs to be edited. God is steadfast and perfect. There's no, I'll have my Jesus, you have your version of Jesus. We can all be honky-dory together and have fun. There's one true Jesus, and we need to bow to him, for his message is good. His gospel is good. It's life-saving. A Jesus that stands in front of you and takes the place in your judgment. Jesus is spotless and perfect. Quick application here. How, how do we know, how do you and I know that we are following the right Jesus, that we have the right Jesus? Well, the first thing to say is nobody has it perfect. So that's maybe an encouragement to us. None of us have the perfect version of Jesus. We're flawed. We have fallen nature in us. We come with our own baggage, our own experiences, our own sins. We all come with our own, our own things. So nobody has it perfect, but how do we get closer and closer and closer to that true Jesus? We know Jesus by having a relationship with him. We pray to him. We give our lives to him. That's how we know Jesus. We read the word. We learn of his character and his promise, and we trust it. That's how we know. We commune around his teaching and his sacraments. That's how we get to know him more. We sacrifice ourselves because he gave his life for us. Now, this will be my bear with me moment, at least for the youth that are out here, because this is an example I've, I've used before. That's right. <laughs> um, and it's this example of how do we make sure that we're not looking at a counterfeit. And there's a fun example that I found where the FBI does this for counterfeit bills, okay? Stay with me. With counterfeit bills, instead of studying all the little counterfeit bills that come along, every, you know, that one's wrong this way, that one's, okay, we'll look for that little mistake again, we'll look for that again, we'll look for these differences. Instead of studying all those, they devote all of their time to studying the one true dollar bill. That way, when a false one comes along, they know the truth that well, they can tell it's a counterfeit. Can you see where I'm going with this? With Jesus, how do we know Jesus so well? How, do, how can we detect counterfeits? Well, like I just said before, we pray, we read his word, we worship him, we listen to him, we give our lives to him. We give thanks for what he's done in our lives. We see, in hindsight, where he's been. And so if anything else comes along that's different than that, then we, we say, no, that's, there's something weird here. I know the one true Jesus. This must be false. And that's what the Corinthians are putting up with here. They're confused. They have the one true Jesus that Paul gave them. And then they have these new teachers coming along. So that's what they're dealing with right now. And then Paul goes on to say that he's real defensive here as well. He says, I'm not in the least inferior to these super apostles that you talk about. Not in the least. This idea of super apostles, this is actually the first time that 
it's written that, that Paul actually mentions these super apostles. And I think this is a, a Paul-coined term. I don't think they were going around calling themselves super apostles. I think this is a sarcastic remark to these guys, saying these so-called super apostles. This word super means like exceedingly or um, to a great degree. These like exceedingly apostolic people that you go off and listen to. It's the sarcasm that he's hitting it with. Well, these teachers, they go off and they brag of their great revelations and the distances they've traveled and it's me, 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 and they're looking to gain power and influence. But Paul's honest. He says, even though I'm unskilled in speaking, I'm not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, I've made this plain to you. He's like, guys, I'm not trying to like fool you. I've made it plain to you. Maybe I'm not the best speaker, not like these guys. But my knowledge is good. What would you rather have? False knowledge and a good speaker or a bad speaker and good knowledge? <laughs> I think we all know where we fall. You know, the power of the gospel has nothing to do with the elegance of its delivery. It has everything to do with the purity of its delivery. That's when the gospel does the work. We don't do the work. The gospel does. Put it this way, Paul knows that the hearers of the gospel are not going to be starstruck with the preacher, but instead what is being preached. It's the gospel that does the work. It's the news of Jesus who died for your sins, rose again in accordance with the scriptures, that does the work. This is encouraging to us. We don't need to be perfect speakers. We don't need to be perfect all the time. The gospel's perfect. We stay true to the one true gospel. It'll work. And it, it, we see this actually in this culture, in this Greco-Roman sort of culture. Um, they really gave a high priority to people who could speak well. That's what, that's what the issue was. That's why this was an issue for them. Because they said, this guy's a fancy speaker. He must be right. They were shallow like that. That's that's where this culture was headed. Brilliant minds, philosophers, and trained orators. Their skill in speaking was so important. I won't listen unless it sounds intelligent. It's the sin and the blindness of the Greek culture. I think we have this sometimes too. We won't listen unless there's some sort of statistics behind it or... You know, you can just pick and choose, cherry-pick stats and make a good argument. And we say, oh, that sounded good. It sounded smart. Yeah, I think I'll take that. And then we go off. Or even, even worse, what we do is we read a headline. And we go use that headline in an argument later. We don't even read the article. You know? Done it. I've done it for sure. It's a fancy-sounding headline. People get paid to, read, to write those. Was the message true? Is the message good? Is our sin that we are too quick to listen to what is smart sounding? When really there's no intelligence in it at all? The Corinthians are flirting with the devil. They wanted more knowledge, but they confused charisma with knowledge, and that is the issue. Christian needs to, Christians need to think about what they're being taught 
rather than being impressed by who is teaching it, however clever and engaging they are. So this is, this is a reminder to, uh, to us in two ways. We fall into two sides of this, okay? First of all, let's be careful about the Gospels that we listen to. Let's be careful about changing Jesus. Well, I found a Jesus, I found a church that says Jesus, you know, doesn't call that a sin, or whatever it might be. Be careful. 2,000 years this book's been around, and all of a sudden we get to change it? I don't think so. So first, be careful about what we're listening to. Secondly, as Christians, we're called to preach the gospel. We're called to go out and preach the gospel. Not just preachers and pastors, but all of us as Christians, born-again Christians. And so what our other warning is, is let's be careful not to put our brokenness into the gospel that we preach or our ambitions or what we want. Let's present a pure Jesus. A pure Jesus and a pure gospel so someone can receive a pure spirit. This is a letter to the church. This isn't necessarily a letter to um, those non-believing folk out there. This is a letter to the church. This is for us to remind ourselves to stay true to the word. And what I think this does, if, if people out there who maybe have wrestled with the gospel but haven't accepted it, maybe haven't heard it, have just heard headlines about churches that are all bad, if those people could hear us sitting in church and saying, hey, church, we need to self-reflect more often. We need to get back on course. Hey, church, we need to remind ourselves that we're human. We're not going to get it right all the time. But Christ is perfect. If the world knew that we humbled ourselves first and brought Jesus to the forefront, they might come out. They might think it a little better. A lot of barriers into the church. And our culture is one of them, just like in this Greco-Roman culture. And so we know that the gospel is countercultural. You know, already we, we mentioned this idea, you know, in the culture, they won't listen to you unless you sound intelligent. Okay, so there's one cultural thing that we have to get over. Secondly, in verses 7 to 9, or 7 to 11, look at verse 7. Did I commit a sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the, God, the God's gospel to you free of charge? Could you imagine having to defend yourself that you preached for free? How frustrating would that be? Of all the things I have to defend myself for, this is what I have to defend myself for? That I charged nothing? That I actually took support from other churches to make sure that you guys were okay? Paul continues to defend himself. Look at the posture of 7 to 11. So that you might be exalted, Paul says, in order to serve you. I didn't burden you, and I will refrain from burdening you. God knows I love you. It's now personal, this verse 11. And why? Because I don't love you? God knows I do. Answering his own question like that. It's like desperation. It's like, God knows I love you. Really? You think that I don't? 
You're letting these people convince you that I don't love you? Paul's looking out for the church. Christ is looking out for the church. There's these stories of people being burned by the church, and yes, it happens all too often. But you're not burned by Jesus. You're burned by the people of the church. And that's why we need to go forth and say, yeah, I'm not perfect. I don't have it right all the time. I made a mistake. Jesus didn't. So don't give up on Jesus. So this was actually the reason that it was considered, you know, a, a sin in the Greco-Roman culture here um, for him to charge nothing was that it was actually customary for if you were to come in and, and provide a service of some sort, I would pay you for it. That was just how the culture went. I would pay you how much I felt you were worth, and we'd go on with our day. So Paul's saying, if I'm charging nothing, then my message is worth nothing. That's what they're thinking. That's what their culture has blinded them to. Paul's message is the message of Jesus. It's worth everything. And so it can't even dare put a price on it. The second thing that he did that was countercultural in this Greco-Roman world is he humbled himself. The word for humble is lo he lowered himself. He did the manual work that it took to support himself to carry out his ministry. All the wealthy Greco-Romans, they would despise that. You got down and dirty and did your own work? You supported yourself? No, we can't have that. You give it free of charge? Can't have that. It's not flashy sounding? Can't have that. Jesus is lowly and humble when necessary. He's powerful and unshakable forever. So as Christians, we must follow Jesus even when it's different than what's the world around us. Our gospel, our true gospel, is not flashy, but it's pure. Remember that word, it's pure. It's not transactional. It doesn't ask for a return. It's giving. It's not entitled, but it's humble. This is our Jesus. Humble, willing to do the work. We'll end it here in verses 12 to 15. And I'm doing what I will continue to do in order to undermine the claims of those who would like to claim in their boasted mission that they work on the same terms as we do. Paul says, I'm not giving up on my gospel, on my Jesus. I'm going to continue to do this. Even if you guys think I'm unintelligent and my message is worth nothing and that I'm a fool for paving my own way in this ministry, getting lowly. Because I'm going to keep doing it. Because I don't want your boasted mission. I don't want your flaunting gospel. It's not what he wants. And Paul doesn't hold back. He calls these people what they, what they really are, false apostles, deceitful workmen. They're prideful. And they're looking to gain power and money in the name of Jesus. They don't serve you. They don't love you. They don't want, or they just want your money. 
Now this, this sounds familiar. This is, this is common objections to the church, right? This is common objections to people entering the church. They don't love you. They don't serve you. They just want your money. These are common objections. And people have those barriers for a reason. Like we said, church isn't perfect. Jesus is. And that's the message we need to put forth. Church isn't perfect. Jesus is. And so no different gospel than Jesus. There should be no other Jesus than the one we know. Is it not the saddest thing? This is a warning to us. Again, we're, this is addressing the church, right? But not the saddest thing when evil is carried out in the name of Jesus. That's one thing, you know, as Christians, and we understand the world and fallen nature and everything, we say evil exists in the world and it happens. It's a whole other thing when evil happens in the name of Jesus. People use and abuse that power in the name of Jesus for their own gain, for their own pleasure. And so church, we need to be humble, check ourselves, remind ourselves that Jesus is good. This is what Paul warns of. If we abuse the name of Jesus, then we're just being used by the devil. I don't want to serve Satan. I want to serve Jesus. I need to check my motives. But this is the good news in all this. And this is heavy talk to the church. Jesus offers forgiveness to any sin. No matter how great or how small. But he only does this with true repentance. When you can look at what you've done and be grieved by it. Be saddened by it. That's repentance. Be convicted by it. And then give it to him. Give it to Jesus. Knowing that he stands in your place on the judgment day. We love Jesus because he loved us first. Heard that before. He gave his life for us. He took our sin and our shame and he buried it once and for all. And that's good news. This is the good news that we need. And get this, how does Jesus ask for love in return? How does he do this? He asks you to hate sin. To hate that which is not God's best for you or for the world. He asks you to look at that and say, that is not what God wants. And then he says, hand it to me. I'll take it from here. Get back on the path. God knows our hearts. Depending what stage you're in right now, what season you're in, that might be, oh great, God knows my heart. Might also be, uh-oh, God knows my heart right now. He knows what we long for. He knows our desires. 
He knows what we put in front of our faith. What we go to instead of Jesus. God knows you. He loves you a lot. Enough to give us Jesus. Whether you're a Christian, born again or not, God knows you. He created you. He loves you. And so when we listen to this message of Jesus, and we understand that the wages of our sin is death, we can just bow our lives to him. That's all we can do. Remind ourselves that we need a Savior who is Jesus. And this is what we should do. We should be gentle towards each other hard on falsehood, both messages that claim to save lives using the name of Jesus or not using the same name of Jesus. Let's be gentle on each other, but hard on falsehoods. When you hear a gospel that requires you to be impressive or to be enough or to be adequate enough, run. Jesus is enough. That's it. Study the true Christ. Know Jesus. Pursue purity. Pure devotion with your betrothed, who is our Savior. Constant pursuit of Christ through his word and relationship. That's what brings forth this ability to see falsehood. So don't be distracted by proposed new and improved updated, modern, millennial Jesus. Remember your first love. Remember the true and pure Christ, your Savior. And remember that he has redeemed you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves before you, knowing that our hearts are riddled with sin, big and small. And Lord, we just remind ourselves of this gospel that we know that says those sins are forgiven if we just repent of them, if they just break our hearts, those sins, and we come to you with them. We know we are saved. We have that repentance and belief in Jesus. Father, I thank you that you move in our lives. I thank you that you apply your word to our lives. So help us to be smart and to trust and lean on your understanding, not our own. Your knowledge, not ours. To remind ourselves of what is the only good and life-saving message in this world of so many messages pulling for our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.